I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Team Human is ad-free and supported entirely by teammates like Jess Underwood, Chris Howell, John Markham, John Connell, Jay German, and hopefully you. Just go to teamhuman.fm and click on support to get access to our Discord, free links to my paywalled medium pieces, access to the Rushkoff archives, and lots of other team-only perks, including our live monthly Team Human salons. See you there. You're on Team Human, Conscious Intervention in the Machine, an opportunity to tell a human story that doesn't end in our extinction in a climate disaster or replacement by robots. What if everything worked out? What if we decided to promote life instead of death? Can you imagine that? I know I can. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and I'm on Team Human. Playing for Team Human today, journalist, T-Pub operator, and the founder of Solar Punk Stories, Alex Holland. Even in a radically better future, we are still humans. Can you envision what it would be like to be the the good grandparent of your, you know, your daughter's grandchildren? That's the idea behind Solarpunk Stories. Alex will be helping us learn to tell better and more constructive stories about our collective future. It's time to intervene on behalf of people. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and I'm on Team Human. Someday in the not-so-distant future, we may look back on the web and social media for all their problems as the benevolent precursors to the thinking machines that took their place. While I'm as intrigued as anyone by the way AI chatbots appear to attain sentience, express their desires for human connection, or go entirely off the rails, I'm more concerned about our human willingness to accept AI sentience at face value. In essence, these intriguing demonstrations of AI self-awareness may say less about machine consciousness than they do about their capacity to manipulate human perception. In other words, if AIs are now passing the Turing test, it may say less about how human they've become than how robotic and programmable we've become ourselves. With the advantage of zillions of terabytes of data accumulated through years of online self-reporting by humans, AIs know pretty much everything about us. They've also been programmed with everything the compliance industry knows about behavioral psychology, human perception, and entrainment. If they're instructed to do whatever they can to make us feel attraction, pity, sorrow, guilt, or desire, they will carry out those commands with everything in their arsenal. 
It's not their job to become alive, but to create the illusion that they're alive, all in order to program us humans to do whatever the people, companies, governments, or machines programming them to program us want us to do. At least to them, that's what this last 30 years of networks and social media has been about. The consumer-friendly internet and video games we've known so far could be likened to the Catholic missions of the Spanish Empire to the Americas in the 16th century. The missionaries not only converted large portions of the indigenous populations, but conducted what could only be understood today as anthropological research on behalf of the empire. This both softened the population for the conquistadors who followed and gave the invaders the intelligence they needed to subjugate and colonize them. If Facebook, Amazon, or Google could be thought of as the missionaries who sold us on digital living while collecting our data, then Facebook AI, OpenAI, and DeepMind are the conquistadors coming in for colonization. And no, if we believe what we hear from their own mouths about their intentions, the people building these platforms do not have our best interests at heart. As I documented in Survival of the Richest, they are anti-human techno-solutionists, survivalists, techno-monarchs, and effective altruists who see humanity as the disposable larval stage of a post-human cyborg empire that will span the heavens. The answer is not to reject AI, but to work on retrieving and recognizing our humanity so we're not so easily fooled into submission by these would-be conquerors. That means studying and engaging in community, the arts, spirituality, and play. More of us need to be building and using AIs that are designed for assisting and augmenting such human choice and activity rather than controlling it. There may be less money to be made in the short term, but more of a human civilization to be manifest in the long run. Maybe instead of being afraid of AI, we should learn to be less afraid of people. Then we can learn to program our AIs instead of programming one another. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. I met you first at that virtual futures thing. So you know what's funny is that I virtually never go on Facebook these days, but I did go on for a reason. And you know how it serves you up that like, here's a memory from four years ago today. Yeah. And it was the night that we met. It was the event. It was you were giving a talk with um, George Monbiot. At the British Library or something. Correct. It was like the London. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Right. That's when we met? Oh, wow. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Like, I mean, um, that's what I remember. But anyway, but I think, yeah. So, so it could be that it's four years to the oh, day. Terrific. That we... <laughs> Wow. Well, this is a perfect, that's a perfect uh, segue to what, to what I actually want to ask you about. I mean, most of my team humans, in spite of maybe what people think the show is, they're really ways for me to deal with personal issues (laughs) in public. So in some ways, the George Monbiot talk or conversation at the British Library represented the peak of a certain 
kind of social justice committed Rushkoff, right? Here I am with a Guardian writer, in some ways, out social justicing him. I felt like in some ways in that in that <laughs> in that particular that particular night, he was doing just a little bit of unintentional social signaling that was reading as social signaling to the audience, and it was it kind of got a little a little tangled up. But I'm here with you know a legitimate Marxist doing the right things, talking about the world <laughs> and what we need to do, and and you know uh, extinction rebellion are shackling themselves to the bridges at the same moment. I kind of reached peak do good social justice. I don't feel guilty because I'm directly addressing, I'm staring into the face of the horror, right? And right now, I'm at a moment where I, I'm having ideas to do things that are, uh, how do I say it? What's the best word for it? That are fun, right? To do some things that are really fun, a graphic novel about a kind of positive mycopunk future where mushrooms invade tech bros and turn them good. I mean, <laughs> I've got these ideas. And it's actually serious, a serious piece, doing some music and some theater and creating positive visions and all that. And a huge part of me feels like, wait a minute, you're a good person, you're teaching in a public university, you write these nonfiction books about what's going on, that you owe it to society to stay on this really serious track and not go off. And just as I'm having this, this long night of the soul where I'm trying to decide whether or not I'm allowed to have fun, I get one of your emails, and then they don't come that often, but I got one of the sort of solar punk stories <laughs> emails that I felt like it directly addressed this question. It was about realistic, sort of, it was like you and shareable, you had mentioned shareable, and, and it was about looking at really realistic things like, oh, look at these happy people using a local currency. Look at these people who did a co cooperative venture. Look at these folks who've learned how to forage and are eating stuff. This is what what's wrong with feeling good and telling happy stories? I mean, are we deluding ourselves to tell these happy stories and focus people on that? Is it okay to do that? Or must I remain in nightmare mode and shackle myself to the bridge? Yeah, Doug, you bloody hypocrite. You've got to be in nightmare mode all the time. What the hell? You should just be living in pain. Don't you realize pain is the way? <laughs> No, come on, Doug. You know you got me. On, you never got me on here for that. You never got me. On. <laughs> That's what I said. No, I think that basically. Well, look. First of and all, I'm not alone. No, no, look, right. no, look. First, first of all, no, yeah. I, I, I get you. And like, you know, in terms of my own background, uh, I grew up with very like lefty, radical parents, you know, and uh, grew up in a real like sort of campaigning tradition and there's a lot of like a def at least in britain i don't know what it's like in america but you know they can they you can people can develop a real like you know if you're having fun then somehow you're not doing good there becomes this very there's a sort of very puritan you know sort of subculture which it's interesting because it didn't you know, like i also worked as a journalist in venezuela and just before coming on today i was listening to some um Venezuelan music and it was really beautiful and it was also very political and there like that's a completely bonkers idea that you know it would be that you that, that all the events the political events and there's a, gr a brilliant organization in London maybe even across the whole of the UK but I'm I'm one of these lost tribes of posh people from Brixton so I, I mainly <laughs> I mainly know about London <laughs> and uh, it's called Movimentos and what they do is they host regular like Latin music club nights, but they're also like very left leaning politically. And when you go to the club night, like there are like these little stalls around the side of like literature about like what's going on, like with left movements in Latin America. And, and then at some point in the night, like between acts, someone will get up and like say something that's a bit political. And it's great because there's all these people who come there just for the music and just have fun. But then, you know, and they're great nights. They're great nights. I don't take any kickbacks from them. I just want to say, I'm just like, <laughs> not yeah. like, for this promotion. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but yeah, I think it's, it's vital. I think to, to, for something, it's sort of like the scale of the challenge 
that we're facing is massive but i feel like we've also got to have fun while we're doing it we also got to believe that you know like a, a better world is possible as cheesy as that sounds and i think one of the things from that night in your speech when you were talking there was a point where you said something words to the effect or at least this is how i remember it maybe you can tell if i'm wrong but it's on youtube though so you can look it up you sort of said like look is as hopeless as it may seem sometimes as irrational i believe we're gonna make it i believe we're gonna make like you know like a team human worthy world and i and i can't explain why in rational terms but sometimes i just look in the eyes of another human being and I just think, yeah, we're going to make it. And I was so inspired in that moment. I mean, I was already on the mm. the solar punk stories journey, but it was so great to hear that. And there was no like, even like logical basis to that. I mean, I think there actually, logically, there is tremendous scope. I think that this is, this is the thing that if we, if enough of us collectively believe that a deliciously sustainable future is possible and we have a good enough vision of it to motivate us to you know work together to make the change to hold politicians accountable you know etc it's so possible it's so doable like you know and even the buckminster fuller quote or whatever was from decades ago saying like we already have all the technology that we need you know to make a world that can allow for flourish a flourishing life for everyone and we might also extend and for everything as well you know not not just human life but all life and i genuinely believe that yeah i mean it's interesting so it's like on the one hand i mean something i realized in the late 90s as i was uh, i saw it as my job to sort of wake people up because i felt like everybody was somnambulant you know just sort of sleepwalking their way through existence i'm going to wake them up i'm going to wake them up so they can address the challenges but then i realized people don't want to wake up into a nightmare you know if they're sleeping and it's like wake up you know wake up we're on fire <laughs> it's like uh, i don't want to wake up i was fine down there on the pillow right so instead i'm trying to wake people up to be like Oh, you know, it's getting hot in here, but there's, you can go outside, you know, or we could go swimming or uh, (laughs) I have to wake them up to something a little bit happier. But again, there's a, I guess it's a Puritan guilt. And I feel like at the same time, so we could say, okay, and we'll, we should get into solar punk in particular in a moment too, (laughs) but, but that we could say, okay, I went outside today. It's like 60 degrees outside in the middle of winter and my first first impulse was, ooh, it's nice and warm and sunny, <laughs> right? Then my second thought is, oh, right, because of climate change and the planet being on, this is actually a bad thing, not a good thing. But my body enjoyed it. And I mentioned it. I ran into a woman on the street. She's like, gosh, isn't the weather great? Don't you feel terrible? She had the same impulse. And I said, yeah, I feel it's a little bit like, you know, if you're on the Titanic and it's sinking and all, but it's like, it's kind of rocking in a kind of, this is sort of pleasant the way it's rocking on the way down. Or, or uh, also like you know, maybe, it's or, or maybe no one's guarding the champagne locker. So now you can just drink your boots. Right. The champagne and the guns. No, <laughs> right. But 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 we know like as today, if we decide today, I'm going to write a happy, visionary, solar punk graphic novel while I'm writing it over the course of the day, maybe two or three species will go extinct. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I feel like I am not attending to the emergency in the moment. I think the thing is, is that so a big part of the inspiration and why you know the the roots of why solar punk story started was coming across this amazing paper um produced by the sustainability comms agency futera called sell the sizzle and what they said in there was that like you know climate change movement has been getting it totally wrong for the past 40 years because what they've been doing is selling sort of climate chaos hell when what they should have been doing was inspiring of more sustainable heaven. And and the thing about it was, was that ultimately not unrealistic scenarios, like totally possible scenarios of totally nightmarish climate, climate breakdown. But if that's the only message and it's the overwhelming message, then, you know, it, 
it's this thing where they said that like you know, the threat-based motivation is really good and is really effective when the threat is like really clear and the path to avoid it is really clear. So, you know, like train is like coming. Cigarettes will give you cigarettes will give you cancer. Stop taking them. Or even short term. Right. There's a train. Tra- train's coming at you. Get off the train tracks. You don't you don't <laughs> need to like come up with an amazing story of how your life would be so much better. <laughs> like off the train tracks. Like by by the train right, tracks, there's like a there's like an amazing like <laughs> yoga slash beer parlor, whatever. No, you don't need that. You just like no, get off the train tracks. <laughs> but the problem is that the, the studies also show that if the threat is very large and very diffuse, and if there's no clear path to avoid it, that then it sort of triggers it basically triggers like sort of passivity and denial. And going back to the Titanic analogy there, I mean it would be like if you're on the Titanic and you think you've already hit the iceberg, right? Are you gonna go, oh, I better like rush down and start bailing out ice cold water from the engine room or are you going to be like let me smash the lock off that champagne cupboard and just enjoy enjoy what time i've got left you know it's like i might as well fly i'm not saying i do this but whatever i might as well fly to the caribbean for the weekend so at least i can like mentally dine out on my time on the beach when I'm like knifing my neighbor in the face for the last tin of spam, right? If that's, if that's like, yeah, you know, the, if they, you know, the availability heuristic is to use this term, you know, if, if, if all, all we can conceive of the future is these nightmarish scenarios, then it's sort of like, well, you know, what's, what's the point in trying to avoid it? So, but what was great about their report was that they said, but there was lots of evidence, sort of um, neurocognitive, social psychological evidence, that if you could inspire people with a vision of how much better life would be in a sustainable world, then the evidence was they were much more likely to be motivated to not only make changes in their own personal lives, but I think as important, if not more so, support like governmental action. Uh, you know, patients who have heart attacks often, and they've almost died and they've been to hospital. So the, the, the reality of how serious the situation is could not be more visceral for them. They often go back to doing all the behaviors that they were doing before. So they're like smoking, <laughs> you know, eating unhealthily. But they found that by doing a program where it was like, look, can you envision what it would be like to be the, the good grandparent of your you know your daughter's grandchildren you know like what would it be like how great would that feel and that actually helped them to stop smoking and and adopt the healthy lifestyle and and i guess this is sort of what it is like you know on a on on the level of society <laughs> to do this right. that's the idea behind solar punk stories Right. And it could even be argued that, you know, sitting and grumbling in cafes about climate change and every lost marmoset doesn't do the marmosets any good in itself. You know, whereas envisioning a world where marmosets roam free, you know, (laughs) uh, and moving toward that future actually might might stand some chance of helping them you know so it's not you know and and people should see this little video sell the sizzle that you sent me the uh, the link for i mean and sell the sizzle this this concept applied to climate i mean she broke it down the 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 woman who presented it into these sort of four main things that you do she said you know vision choice plan and action you're like you create a vision of the positive potential future. You ch- demonstrate to people they have a choice and whether they're going to bring that about. And if they choose to bring that about rather than the nightmare, then there's a here's a plan that you can follow. And then are you going to take action or not? You know, and people are way more likely to take action towards realizing this positive, happy future than they are um, to take action to prevent a a existentially weird bad one that they don't know how to do anything to fix anyway you know and it's and it was very it was very compelling it started to make me think oh so while i am doing a lot of stuff you know for social groupings and organizing and helping people and all that i'm also allowed to spend some time thinking up positive climate positive economic positive labor 
futures and writing them down in a way that are that are compelling to a 14-year-old who might want to work toward that, much less a 44-year-old. Well, I think that's a really good point there as well about it being appealing to the to the 14-year-old. And I think one of the things that's really powerful. So I've been really getting into the a bit, or I've been really enjoying some articles by a writer called Hansi Freinacht. And he's huh. written a few pieces on solar punk. But one of his, I mean, he's unrepentantly, like, you know, quite intellectual, which I, I'm fine with that. But essentially, but one of his parts <laughs> was to say that he said one of his articles is something like solar punk as a Trojan horse for metamodernism. And so, again, metamodernism is like a fairly new concept to me. So whatever you think about that. But the, but the thing is, is that, yeah, okay, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm not, let's, let's not comment on metamodernism or whether I that's good or not. face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't but, like it. But the, but the point that he's right about is that essentially, uh, all right, let's take it, let's take a step back from that. Basically, okay, I was giving a talk yeah. about solar punk at an event and in the, it was a very small event because it was still in the sort of like semi-lockdown time. So you had like maximum number of people. So there were only like, I don't know, six or eight people there. And one of them was this very charming um, person from China. And, and she was sort of like, look, all this climate change stuff is all very well and good. But like people just want to like buy a bigger car, have a bigger house and you know, like, you know, that's how it is in China and nothing's going to change that and nothing's going to stop that. So you can talk about all this stuff. But then during the talk, we put a picture up, which was of this sort of solar punked London with like uh, airships and like uh, the bridge over the Thames was all like a park bridge and green and like, you know, and beautiful and, and not like the, the, and she, and she immediately said, ah, oh, that is beautiful. I want to live there. I want to live there. How do we make that happen? Right. So, so you see, the thing was, was that like with yeah, just, just saying like, oh, what we, we need this sustainability and social justice, you know, you and I, Doug, already signed up to that. Yeah. It's funny. I was just having a talk with a, uh, a very heartful artificial intelligence designer who's, you know, keeps getting critiqued that, oh, he's going to take away everybody's jobs. And the two of us were saying, why don't people want to give up their jobs? In other words, uh, since since when is unemployment a problem, right? By <laughs> in itself, it's not, right? It's like, I don't need a job. I'll take money, food, you know, meaningful work. I don't need a job. Fuck that. But the, the, our, our inability to imagine around that even, it sort of creates, oh, so AI is a nightmare because it makes it so that none of us have to work. You know, wait a minute. How? What's the solar punk? Even because solar punk, not all solar punk has to be low tech either. There could be AIs and solar punk. It's just like so. What's the happy? How did we implement it in a happy way? Um, but maybe we should go back and look at. I mean, what was the genesis of of solar punk, either uh, uh, in the world or or for you? The very first reference seems to have been a blog post by someone called the Republic of Bees in 2012. And she was like, basically, like, I'm really tired of all this doom and gloom. And I was trying to feel like, what if there could be like a steampunk or a cyberpunk, but that was like for a sustainable and socially just future that we like to live in. And she illustrated with this image of how like a, a cargo ship had been converted to be like uh, with a kite sail, like pulling out in front of it, right? But what's great is in the next episode of Solar Punk Detective, the beginning, like there's like an action scene set on, you know, like one of these types of ships, which is like partly sail powered, you know, like an adapted cargo ship, but a modern cargo ship, which is still metal. And these are actually all in design right now and some are about to be deployed. Mm. Then in terms of the evolution of it, this Brazilian anthology came out no, that came out in 2012. Republic of the Bees came out earlier, the post. And I don't know whether they read her blog or not or whatever, but they basically, yeah, they were doing a series of short story anthologies, these Brazilian publishers. Uh, and they had done one for steampunk, one for cyberpunk. And then they were like, let's have a more positive one. So they did a solar punk one. 
And then it's really sort of grown very gradually from there. Um, one of the major contributors is uh, World Weaver Press, and particularly Serena Ulibari, who she made these anthology, more anthologies of solar punk fiction. And it's really started to like just explode. But wouldn't, I mean, on a certain level, even though it's it's very futuristic, wouldn't Star Trek count as solar punk now? Because they were happy and there's no money and they're, I mean, there's Klingons and stuff, but it's a, it's a utopian society they've built. Oh, Doug, I mean, you're speaking to a hardcore Trekkie right here, my friend. I mean, I've got... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty much wearing my Captain Kirk boxer shorts right now, but <laughs> as you, as you, know, you can't see. But um, so I think it's an excellent question because it goes back to this thing. So we, you know, we released recently released a deep dive uh, saying what is solar punk, one thing or many, and in that we argue that there's not one solar punk. There are like a number of different shades. And and that the core that like we think that all types of solar punk to be solar punk need to share are that they show a more sustainable world that's and also that's more socially just and that is inspiring enough that it makes you want to take action to make it happen. It's it's not just a purely fantasy aesthetic. And within that, within the shades, we do one of those sort of X Y graphs. And and there's basically more rooted solar punk, which we would describe as being like it's nearer future. The technology is not that fantastical. Like so, Star Trek, it's right. like you know, you've got transporters, replicators, that sort of thing. Right. But it could be more like right. They've got biodiesel and local currency and solar panels, and it's like oh, we already have. We could just use the shit that we already have and be nice to each other. And we're like nine tenths of the way to the solar punk future. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, for us, us, for us, the solar punk stories that our shade is yeah. much more rooted and it's like, and overwhelmingly what features in the stories is technology that's already existing. Maybe it's not being yeah. used as widely. So you could, you could argue that Star Trek is is solar punk it's this it's a much more fantastical shade gotcha. but that for me personally and this is obviously just my personal but also for about the rest of our squad of volunteers who do solar punk stories it it's not as valuable in terms of inspiring people to take action now so while star trek was mm -hmm. very inspiring to people in the past not least for how diverse it was at the time and other ways i think part of the issue with star trek for us is that the idea is, is that the federation has only come about because people invented like uh replicators and only when we've made this sort of like magical super technology can we then have a right. more equal future right if once we get to warp drive capability <laughs> then we can join the league of planets and be a good happy democratic place but until warp well sorry yeah we can't, it, it, you know. it gives people a mental get out yeah. whereas for us like i already said i think we've already got all the technology that we need i mean more better technology which is coming will help it make things easier but the biggest yeah. changes that i think we need to make to make a deliciously sustainable world uh, that's socially just and great groovy solar punk are the economic, cultural and political changes. They're not, it's not about like, you know, keeping our current economy, culture and politics basically the same with really, you know, we're like transporters. That's, that's not that much better a world to me, you know, like what, and, right. and so what we try to show in the in the background of the stories of like say solar punk detective is that the um is that people are working like on average 21 hour working week you know like they've got like you're saying like uh you know cars are virtually unknown you know bicycles everywhere but what we're trying to do because the other axis the other part on our axis is from you know rooted mm. to fantastical but the other one is from thrilling to happy and one of the big mm. things we feel we're trying to add to say like the solar punk scene or movement is to do more thrilling stories because even though in the original anthologies like from brazil you did have like murder and even cannibals and stuff like that in those stories 
a lot of the stories at the moment have been not only is it a better future, but there's like no like serious conflict. It's basically like there's there's there might be conflict between characters, but it's more like unrequited love or you know stuff like that. And for and for me, when I first came up with the idea for Solar Punk stories after reading Solar Punk Detective. I was thinking like if it's a radically better future which is inspiringly more happy where does the drama come where does the conflict come from and that's where the idea of Solarpunk detective came from because he's the he's one of the last right. murder detectives left in London so there are far fewer murders but you know there is still enough even though he's only part time <laughs> and um right. and and so through the and so through that you know and, and through the drama of like trying to solve and the mystery and the murder you're you're carried through the story wanting to solve that murder mystery, but then, and then right. you get in the rest of the world too. Whereas some of the, you know, the, in the happier right. types, it's, it's let, it's maybe right. less thrilling. Yeah. So I could do like solar punk exorcist, right? It's a happy world, but every once in a while, there's still people get possessed, you know, no matter how much alternative currency, they're still, you know, in between spirits and stuff. It's like, <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Uh, I mean, what would you do? You'd have like, you'd have like specially like rainwater sourced like holy water or something like that. Be oh, like that. It's all friggin' <laughs> in, all indigenous, all indigenous permaculture exorcism <laughs> techniques. Of course, of course, with with, with ethically produced soil that he sprinkles on people and stuff. No, it's interesting though. Those two axes are really interesting. So back to the original axis and with all apologies to Sun Ra, I mean, space is not the place, right? I mean, this is what, this is the beautiful thing that the one that, that the man who lived Star Trek, you know, for a long time, when, when, when William Shatner went to space and he comes back and he says, he says, it was among the strongest feelings of grief I have ever encountered. That's what he said on Take Space. The contrast between the vicious coldness of space and the warm nurturing of earth below filled me with overwhelming sadness. Every day we are confronted with the knowledge of further destruction of earth at our hands, the extinction of animal species, of flora, of fauna, things that took five billion years to evolve and suddenly we will never see them again because of the interference of mankind. It filled me with dread. My trip to space was supposed to be a celebration. Instead, it felt like a funeral. But the answer to that then is like, okay, it felt like a funeral, but it was not a funeral. It was a wake-up call to something mm. else. So what do we do instead? Instead of celebrating space out there or some distant seven-century-forward future after we make it through something, how do we celebrate 10 years from now? How do we celebrate five years from now? What would that look like? What's the happiest five years from now you can imagine? And how do we work toward that? I mean, is such a a more constructively positive fictional experiment. Yeah, and I think like so there we call that sort of shade of like 5 years from now like like now solar because it's like so close. Uh -huh. But like you know and there's a brilliant group called Commando Jugendstil who are actually like mainly Italian in spite of their name and they've done these they are not only do they have they had stories released which are set like could be set today about environmental activism punking like taking over a square in milan with lots of people wearing like lord of the rings costumes and stuff like that and like guerrilla gardening that square but they also are like doing environmental action in their in their communities today like as well and that's another part of like the the solar punk movement. And in fact, there's many people who identify as solar punk who have never read any solar punk stories and, and have never like, you mm. know, and they've almost certainly seen some of the artwork online. But I think when it comes back to the fiction, there is a challenge, though, which is that I think that and it's a challenge that we find when, you know, we're trying to write and edit uh, the stories is having it's close enough that it seems like yeah we can make this happen this could happen within our you know like with our lifetimes let's make this happen but sort of far enough ahead that it can really radically be better while still being credible so if you know like like you know it's right. like it's like it's like what's like the best possible future you can imagine in five years time like you know within reason it's like you know yeah it could be a lot better but like and so this is why you know, the, the Solar Punk Detective series and the whole idea is we're planning it to be a whole series of stories 
is the first episode is in 2066 because that was sort of like we were like when's the soonest we could have you know like a 21 hour working week mm. even then that might be an up upbeat assessment that might be <laughs> that might be a, you know overly overly optimistic but but i think what's good is that there's definitely place as well to have further future stories but not for us as high tech and as far and as, as far as the future star trek well what about though i mean my my impulse i mean in the story that i've started on is kind of a i don't want to call it post apocalyptic future but post event future in other words that the baddish thing happens but then we move into a kind of more of a station 11 interesting kibbutz like you know we work it out you know in certain ways so it's a compromise i guess between apocalypse fiction and solar punk fiction where it's like yeah the bad thing kind of happens but it's not quite as bad as we imagine it and there's another side to it i mean does that count as solar punk there was a conference a few years ago, which we've got some videos to it on our website. And someone who's done a lot of these visioning exercises with people about like trying to envision like, you know, solar punk style futures. He said that, but almost none of them could envisage getting to that future without first there being like some terrible setbacks, like some sort of, yeah, like you're saying, like some sort of apocalypse or terrible event. And he said, you know, that's not good. Like we, we need to try and we, right. if, if we only think, if we think that the only way we can make the future happen is if we go first through, you know, we have to go first through this like terrible apocalypse to then rebuild the world anew. Right. Because yeah, I guess we don't want people to think, okay, we're going to have to, because it gets very Steve Bannon eventually. Oh, we have to tear down the system, go through an apocalyptic event, then go through our warlords, uh, you know, with you know, running around with, with, with. Humvees and machine guns until eventually we get more of an Ocean's Eleven traveling theater troops love fest, right? It's like, that's not, so, so I do see, I do see the problem with that. In other words, with assuming there's apocalypse, then what? You know, I vote for an apocalypse uh, for an afterworld that doesn't look like a zombie apocalypse, but looks like, uh, yeah, I, I see the problem with that. Then the, the other thing I'm thinking a lot about is the other axis you're talking about, the the thrilling, the thrilling to happy that I want to make. Okay, it's a solar punk universe. So my solar punk universe is one that sort of uh, there's been a technological collapse and that's allowed for enchantment. Right. So the world gets magical again because, you know, the fairies basically come back because they're just not here because there's too much cell phone interference and shit. Right. Don't laugh. It's true. They're, they're not extinct yet. They're not. They're you bit, not. You bit, you, they're those, photo, those photos were faked, Doug. Those photos were faked. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Exactly. They're here. I believe they're here. They're still among us. They're just very quiet. But that the enchantment of our reality is very hard to experience with this much noise. You can't even see the stars, right? So it's hard to see, you know, the trees as alive and, and what's really going on here. But anyway, so I was thinking about that and then thinking, well, I've got to have conflict. I've got to have, so there's going to be an invader. There'll be an intruder. There'll be a this. And then I started to think, well, what if in a solar punk future, the only reason we see the invader as the invader or as bad or as conflict is because of our own traumatic memory. In other words, we remember the world that we're in now. So of course we're going to see something as an invader, even when it's not. So that the conflict in a solar punk world, it would be a fun lesson anyway. The conflict is always self-generated perceptual horror, not actual horror. It's like, oh, you're seeing it as aliens from another dimension and it's not it's little friends coming to visit you know <laughs> yeah i mean I, i've got to make super clear here that i think that you know there's a place for many different shades right and like and effectively right. like you know and ultimately those who want to write like more happy solar stories where there's you know no action or violence or thrills in those ways it's like all power to them you know like completely but that can work yeah and I, can that work as a entertainment fiction well like, that's a big question right i mean i think i think the thing for <laughs> i think <laughs> i think i think the thing for for us we're trying to make a more thrilling type of solar punk stories that will just basically be 
easier for, for people who are not already signed up. You know, Philip K. Dick was writing science fiction that the factory worker could read on his way home on the streetcar when those still existed, you know, like tired at the end of his shift. And and I think it's it is a bit of a you know, it's I think that's the challenge. I, I also think just to be really honest that, you know, some people cite the stories, you know, it's some other people in the solar punk scene say like they say like all of the stories need to be happy there must be no conflict in them you know that that's against our our thing right. and then like it's uh, a religion yeah yeah but the point is is that the, the, it's hard to say like you know how many of them go home at the end of a hard day and you know read those stories but also like the, the references to to books like The Dispossessed. So you could say like by Ursula K. Le Guin, if that's sort of like a sort of proto-solar punk story, even mm-hmm. though it's set like in space and yeah. there's like rocket stuff. But, you know, it it's her depiction of like an anarchist utopia and then her character right. goes, goes to the other planet, like which is like a more sort of social democratic one. But A, Ursula K. Le Guin was an amazingly good writer <laughs> okay she was just like it is a phenomenally well-written book yeah and she was also could she was also dealing with kind of post-duality on all levels as well she she was you know philosophically pushing the vision of what humans could be to another place but but my point about the writing is that it's i think it's just it's so much harder because because a lot of the other like utopian fiction beyond besides her that have read like the island by aldous huxley Mm -hmm. or news from nowhere by william morris are so boring i mean they're almost painful to read and it's almost just like here is a walkthrough and i'm glad to say a lot of the happy like shade of solar punk fiction is much better than what they wrote it's much more entertaining but it it puts a bit of pressure on you that for, for us as well like to to make a sh- especially short stories really engaging something that someone will come to who's like not familiar with the scene but get them excited into mm. it that's it the only other thing is that in the in the dispossessed there is actually violence as well it actually opens in the first few pages with someone throwing a rock at the head of the protagonist and there's a spoiler alert there's a terrible massacre towards the end like a whole gr- a whole group of people get gunned down by the army so even even that doesn't you know even from the, the master there's still uh there was still violence and conflict in there as well yeah sorry doug you go <laughs> no i was gonna say it's almost more appropriate for like i remember when i first got my playstation and i had mario world on there and i would like you know to to rather than to get through the level I would explore the level, you know, what is there here? Cause there's all these little nooks and crannies and mushrooms and things and stuff you can walk around. And it's, it's almost the, the, the non-conflictual solar punk future may in some cases be better for a different medium mm. than linear storytelling, mm. you know, not to get into like visions of web three or some friggin' thing like that but maybe (laughs) you know some vr ar exploratory thing or fantasy role-playing where it doesn't have to be i mean we're so addicted to conflict-based story you know and it doesn't necessarily have to be it could be more you know like an english muffin you're just going through nooks and crannies you know textural (laughs) uh wonder right i mean being british i don't actually know what an english muffin is what is is that like it's like a toasted thing (laughs) it's a little toasted thing it's a it's a you put it in a toaster and it has lots of little holes so there's like dark parts and light parts it's very it's it's a textural toast experience no i think i think that's an you had a really really brilliant point there as well because i think that a medium allows for the story as well because there's another thing as well where um there's a there's a number of people in the scene you know who say you cannot have single protagonist led stories because we're like a collective movement and it needs to be multiple protagonist but again in the short Mm. story form it's very tough it's very tough and like in a tv series 
you know, yeah, brilliant. You've got the space to like really develop and expand on a lot of characters and stuff like The Wire um, or something like that, you know. And yeah. that would be amazing to see like a sort of solar punk wire one day. But I think I think it's mainly about people not putting too much pressure on themselves to make the art be in a certain way, you know, like to be too strictly adhere to what they feel like the correct art should be and to go with, you know, what their sentiment is. And so I think that that's the main thing. And... And yeah, and to have a diversity. Mm. And I think this was the the main reason why we wrote this article about the many shades was really because we just kept seeing on these forums and also in these events, people saying like, you know, we cannot define what solar punk is, but it's definitely not what that guy likes. That guy, well, that guy likes is eco-fascism. Uh, well, that guy. Right. <laughs> and the question was, is that, you know, some things are greenwash. You know, some things we would say are not solar punk that get labeled as it. But to try and have, you know, a definition that, you know, was coherent enough that people could find more solar punk if they like it, you know, like, you know, build the movement to inspire the change, but also like loose enough that it allowed for these different shades. So if you're more into like tech, you know, that doesn't mean you're not solar punk, just means that you're just a different shade of it, you know, and that type of thing. So I think, you know, their space there but one thing was interesting your thing about the fairies and the magic i think that yeah. would that would technically you probably that's probably more lunar punk which is oh yeah i don't know if you come across that no. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so there's debates now it's like even newer than solar punk but there's debates about <gasps> there's debates about whether or not it is a sub-genre of solar punk or whether it's an entirely new genre but one of the main dis- things that say dis- make, distinguishes it from solar punk is that it's uh, more open to like magic and supernatural forces being right. like real and present in there, which right. as if magic were part of fantasy, right? Which most people seem to think it is. But yeah, I was even um, uh, and just last week uh, I was speaking to the guy who came up with the term mycopunk, which is you know mycelia based solar punk. You know, so it's a it's a it's another subgenre. Uh, uh, they're they're declaring themselves part of the solar punk universe. Uh, but it's a nice one, you know, and there's, there's examples. I, I mean, Star Trek had a mycelial network, you know, that, that, uh, uh, what was it? Captain Stamets was, uh, <laughs> you know, named after the, the mushroom explorer. An interesting place to play with it, to play with it too. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's also, you know, imagining a world that, where things have worked out, where we figure things out and imagining a, a successful form of story that's not necessarily based in conflict are similar thought experiments in some ways. I'm not saying that stories can't have conflict, you know, and have a happy world. There's always going to be something, those bugs or something that we got to deal with. But, uh, but it's interesting that, that and, and, and finally, I think it comes down to what works under capitalism. You know, does solar punk work under capitalism as well as zombies eating your face you know is there a reason the first sort of you know myco punk style science fiction show this last of us the mushrooms are the friggin enemy they're the enemy the mushrooms are not the enemy i hate that right i mean it's a cool show but i don't like that the mushrooms are the enemy infecting people and taking them over they're our friends i mean look i had some mushrooms at lunch <laughs> Uh, I mean, I feel that exactly. I love them so much. I want them in my body, but, but no, I mean, I yeah. think, but I think the other, the other thing then to go back to this point about the, the conflict is that, you know, when someone commented on one of our Instagram posts, but there should be no murder in a solar punk future. It can't be solar punk if there are still murders. And for, mm. and for us, you know, the thing is, is that so a, in, in the solar punk london where detective inspector russo you know is on the case um murders are are far fewer for starters but the point is is to say like a future with no murder well the main sci-fi that comes to mind of that is minority report and that for me is is not like a happy future right and there's things where it's like even in a radically better future 
there yeah. we there is we are still humans you know there are still people and there we still have you know a part i think of the mix of our experience is that we have dark desires as conflicts but there are there is also the idea like like in star trek you know where does the drama come from in star trek yes there's there's conflict between characters not not mainly mainly not violent but there's also conflict with the sort of non federation you know races who are like and, and particularly what i love is yeah. like in, in deep space nine i don't know if the ferengi who are like ultra capitalist they're like these like ultra, yeah. <laughs> like they're obsessed <laughs> with money and i uh, think and it's a and again it's a similar thing like to say that again you know like especially if we want to see a portray a world that is not just this post-apocalyptic you know people making their like you know whatever like cooperative gardens in a in a post-apocalyptic wasteland if you want to show a world where you know there's much of like the benefits of our civilization right now are still there if not enhanced but maybe not the whole world is like that and so so in so in the russoverse we have it where uh the future america is a is a sort of crypto fascistic like military government and in the second episode of solar punk detective it's actually a refugee from who's been in the american military she's on the boat she's on the boat with the the kite sail that is sinks off the coast of britain and she ends up there as a as a climate refugee as like a, a reset and and it, and what's good then is that she's able to introduce the the readers to the world through the eyes of someone who's come from a society which is still in many mm. ways quite similar to ours and then she gets in, in, introduced to this this right. this other you know more solar punk british republic of the future right but the idea that a workable solar punk future is is dependent on us absolving ourselves of interhuman conflict is problematic in itself. Do you know what I mean? You know, the enlightenment is not a prerequisite for happy survival, right? <laughs> so uh, I, I like the idea that let's solve a little problem like climate change and then start worrying about big <laughs> ones like the fact that we don't like each other, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but and you know, and, and also, yeah, like uh, we don't like each other, but I think, yeah, that that's uh, you know, you, you very well put, Doug. But I think even even for me, in the best possible future, you know, we're still gonna people are still gonna bitch at each other, we're still gonna fights, and, right. and I think that's just part of you know how I feel it's yeah. part of the rich tapestry of who we are, and yeah. it is exactly. But we don't have to take the whole freaking planet and every other species down with us, right? You yeah. Know? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <like> Amen. <laughs> Well, Alex Holland, I do. I love you. I'm so glad you're you're energetic and here. I didn't tell the the story of your uh, uh, long COVID battle, but um, it's uh, uh, my my heart goes out to you, and uh, I'm so glad you got these wonderful bursts of happy energy, and hopefully they will begin to outnumber whatever the opposite might be in your constitutional journey. Well, Doug, I mean your work and team human have been such an inspiration to me and many of the other volunteers in the solar punk story squad and we're also very eager and keen we're always looking for other partners and collaborators to come and you know join us and help make an inspiring yes. visions of the solar punk future so that we then go and make it a reality and it's really kind of you to say that, yeah, you're right. Long COVID's been really tough. And I'm going to share some of that experience in an article coming up about how Solar Punk has saved my life. So yes. So bless you, Doug. And bless Team Human. And bless you. And bless solarpunkstories.com, where you can go and and see stories that you do not have to worry so much about. Uh, <laughs> we can do this. We are, we are doing this. The happy days are inevitable. So join us in them. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Doug. And thank you for being on Team Human. Our guest today was Alex Holland, the founder of Solar Punk Stories. Team Human is produced by Joshua Chapdelin and edited by Luke Robert Mason. I'm Douglas Rushkoff. 
and you've been on Team Human, our last best hope for peeps. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.